Um, well, first off, thank you so much for coming out and giving me the opportunity for, to, to bring God's word to you this morning. Uh, we have a lot of new faces who have been coming around lately, so if you haven't met me before, I'm AJ. I'm a member here at First Baptist Hacienda Heights, and uh, I'm going to be bringing you God's word today. I'm very blessed to do that, and um, I pray that you will be blessed as well by what I have to share. Uh, to start with, I just want to share a quick story, just kind of open up our passage. Um, and as I put this together, I was uh, working on my message. I was trying to think of something that kind of would lead into this message pretty well. And, and the thing that popped into my head was a pear tree that was, uh, and still is, out back behind my grandma's house. Uh, when I grew up, I grew up in the country of Louisiana, which is very different from uh, the country of California. There is no country here. <laughs> uh, there was this huge pear tree back there, and it was such a source of life when I was a kid. Pears fell out of it. If you ever seen a pear tree or a true pear tree bear pears, you just buckets and buckets and buckets of pears. Pears will come off of it. Uh, people still barter a lot back home, so neighbors would bring over their crops. They would bring over peas or whatever they had, and they would come and we would, we would trade them for pears. And there was just so much activity going on in this backyard around this pear tree. Uh, and then a few years ago, uh, the pear tree finally began to wither, and it stopped bearing pears. There was no more fruit, and as the fruit left, the, the tree basically became useless. There was no more value to it. Uh, maybe some shade back there, but nobody really even hangs out back there anymore. When you look into her backyard, it's just almost, it's just dead. It's really dead and quiet. And eventually the years are coming and the, the branches will fall down. And what happens to these trees is they bundle them up and they cast them off into a fire. They turn into firewood. Uh, and it ties into our message today because we'll be seeing how fruit-bearing Christians or the fruit-bearers are the ones who are useful to God in the same way that tree was useful um, and to do this, we're going to be looking at the Gospel according to Matthew. The Gospel according to Matthew. Uh, now, as we turn to the Gospel according to Matthew, this is the first book in the New Testament. If you're not too familiar with the Bible, that's okay. Uh, the New Testament, the Old Testament, Bible broken up into two sections. And the Old is prior to the coming of Jesus Christ, the New Testament. Uh, we see Jesus Christ coming, and Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. Uh, it serves as somewhat, not only the first book, but as a bridge into the New Testament. And it does this because if, you, if you've been with us for the past few weeks, we've been going through. Uh, if you've been with us going through uh, <laughs> Exodus, uh, we've been going through Exodus, which is prior to the coming of Jesus Christ, and it's walking through Israel's history, the history of the Jews. Right, the chosen people of God. And this history is important because uh, throughout Israel's history, throughout the Old Testament, there were all these promises continually being made to the Jews. Uh, just to hit on a few of them, Isaiah, or Isaiah 9, 6-7 says, uh, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There is a prophecy of this son who is coming, and on his shoulders will be the government. He will establish a kingdom. Jeremiah 23, 5-6, likewise says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. David, if you know this, was a former king. Was a, They established the Davidic throne with Israel, and there was a promise that even though David failed to be a perfect king, that there was a king that was coming who would reign forever and ever over Israel. And I tell you this because as we come into Matthew, the, uh, the, the first gospel account, it is very evident that this theme of kingship and a king and an established kingdom is carried all throughout his book. 
And I'm going to walk us through, if, you, if, uh, if you're using a pew Bible, it starts on 807, Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. Uh, I'm going to briefly walk us up uh, to chapter 13, where we'll be today. Uh, Matthew opens up, there's a genealogy, which sounds kind of boring to most people, it's just a list of names that are uh, descended of, descended of, descended of, but this is very important because Matthew is writing to these Jews about how this king has come, and he's tying Jesus Christ to the lineage of David. He's saying, hey, this one who has come is the king that we've been waiting for. Chapter 2, you see the wise men go out to uh, uh, find this baby Jesus when Jesus Christ is finally born, and they go out, the Gentiles go out and find him and worship him as the God of all creation. John the Baptist, in chapter 3, baptizes Jesus, commissioning him. We have the Father saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And in chapter 4, Jesus begins to speak and teach, and he says, Repent and believe, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The, 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 this gospel account is making very clear that this long-awaited king, this long-awaited Messiah, the one who's going to set up his throne, has arrived, and he is here. We move into chapters 5 through 9, and we see that uh, Jesus, as he teaches and preaches, he goes 5 to 7 through the Sermon on the Mount, which is one of the most famous teachings in all of history. Um, and then, not only does he begin to, to his teaching ministry, uh, he heals and performs all these miraculous wonders in the lives of all these sick, uh, uh, desperate people. Now, what is he doing? He is performing kind acts by healing them, but he is proving by his authority that he is the king. He teaches as one with authority when he teaches. He says, uh, when he speaks, it is just as if God speaks. And he cures people. He performs supernatural works over the creation, proving he is a sovereign ruler. And in chapters 10 and 12, he commissions his disciples. He calls his disciples out, he commissions them, and he begins to send them out to teach and preach the same message, perform miracles, proving that this message is from God, and he's using them to usher in the kingdom of God. And this brings us all the way up to chapter 13, which is where we're going to be today. Now the passage, chapter 13, will be verses 1 to 23, and this is on page uh, 818 of, your, of the Pew Bible, uh, if you want to follow along with us there. It's naturally broken down into three parts. Verses 1 through 9, 10 through 17, and 18 to 23. Um, and we're going to walk through them accordingly, and I'll explain how each passage works as we go along. What we're going to notice is that teach, uh, Jesus' teaching here takes a certain tone. What we're going to see is that, and, and, <clears throat> and we'll unpack it as we go, is the connection between those who are going to be a part of this kingdom that Jesus has come to establish and the fruit that they bear in their lives. So without further ado, we're going to jump right in and do the first section, verses 1 through 9. Uh, this is also probably labeled in your Bible, most Bibles, as the parable of the sower. Verses 1 through 9, verse 1 and 2 say, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. By this point in Jesus' ministry, he's caused quite a fuss. He performed all these supernatural miracles, all these supernatural workings. He's teaching with authority, stirring up uh, a lot of commotion, and all of these tons and tons of people are coming out to see him. These are all Jews who have been waiting for so long for this coming king, and they're here news that this could be the coming Messiah, and they're coming out by the, the, the groves to see him. They want to know, is this the one who has come? Is this the one we have been waiting for? Is this the Messiah? Is this the king who will establish his throne? So they all come out, they all come out to see Jesus, he sits on a boat, and it says, Jesus said to him, and I'm going to read through the passage, and he told them many things in parables, saying, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. 
Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they were withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on the good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, I don't know about you, but if the Jews, I'm trying to picture this in my head, all of these thousands of Jews come out to see if this is the coming king, and this is what, this is all Jesus, he just says this to him. He said that there's a, there's a little storm, many of us know where it's going, but some of us even know where the explanation is at, but he doesn't explain anything to the crowd, he just tells a story about some guy planting seeds. Now, I'm trying to picture the Jews' face, it was probably like, and, you know, and what does this mean, right? What does this mean? And what Jesus had given them was a parable. A parable is a simple story. Um, it doesn't contain really anything supernatural. And on the surface level, it's easy to comprehend. The Jews were an agricultural society. They planted, they farmed. When he's speaking this, he's on the shore of Galilee and most likely off to the sides because there's farmland all along Galilee. There are probably people sowing seeds at this very moment. The idea of sowing seeds means we, we used to do this when I was a kid. We would plant, you grab a handful of seeds out of a bag and you throw them. And they, they scatter all over the ground. You throw them by the handfuls. So he's saying a sower went out to sow, and he sowed these seeds. They said, well, yeah, of course, that's what sowers do. That's when you go out and sow the field, they sow the seeds. Some fell on the rocky ground. They think, well, like the hard hiking trails we have here. If seed hits that, it's not going to go in the dirt. It's not going to bear any fruit. Birds are just going to come and pick it away. Then he says, well, some fell in the, the um, uh, uh, shallow soil. We think of soil on top of bedrock. If any of you plant, you know this. If you, if you only have a pot that's 2 inches deep and one that's 10 inches deep, this one's not going to have any roots. This one is. Right? The one that's shallow, as it tried to grow, the sun hit it, and it had no roots, couldn't get any nutrients, and it just withered away. The other one, when it fell, it fell with thorns. If you ever seen thorn bushes, you can hit them with a lawnmower. They go into like a thousand pieces, and everywhere a piece hits, they, they pop up. The soil looks the same when it's tilled, but when the seed tries to grow, it, it, the thorns just choke it out. Unless he says the one, obviously, the one that fell in good soil brought forth a crop. Right? So the Jew, they, they would have understood that fine, but what they wouldn't have understood is what in the world this has to do with the kingdom of God. And naturally, what happens next, what happens after this, is what we would expect to happen. It says the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? Why did you say what you just said? We have to think about the disciples of Christ who have been following him. These people who have come, this is their family members, Right? This is their culture, this is their heritage, this is the Jews. They know he's the coming king, and all of these people come down to hear them, and no doubt they are longing in anticipation for him to become their king. And Jesus tells them this little story about seeds, and all the people are confused and begin to kind of dwindle. And they run to him and say, Jesus, why would you say that? Why did you do that? And his words are heavy. I, I, as I prepared this message, you try to soften things that Jesus says, but you can't do it really because his words are not meant to be soft when he responds to them. It says he answered them and said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Jesus looks at them as these people begin to dwell, and he says to these people who are wandering away, these people who do not understand, it has not been given to them. You see, Israel had a problem. Their problem had always the, the problem they had always had as a whole was that they all most of them believed that because they were descendants of Abraham, because they were part of this nation ethnically, that they were somehow special, which I believe they, they were special, but they thought that somehow that was what made them children of God. 
They thought that just because their DNA was a certain DNA and they, they were a certain race, that they naturally were better than everyone else, that they were good people, everyone else was wicked, and that they were the people of God. Based on that simple fact. Jesus quotes when he says they, they did not understand him, he quotes a passage from Isaiah, verses 14 to 15. And all of a sudden, we're in the second section now where Jesus is, is, is um, uh, explaining why he spoke in the parable. He says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For the people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Jesus reaches back into the Old Testament. He pulls a quote out of Isaiah when God is speaking to Isaiah about the Jews. And the reason he does that is because the situation then was the exact same situation now. God says, hey, these people who I called to be my own, this nation who I brought out of exile, who I made my people, their hearts are far from me. They are blinded in their eyes. Their hearts are hard. They do not love him. They do not love God, and that's why they don't understand what Jesus is or what he is doing, because they do not love Jesus Christ himself. And Jesus Christ says, it has not been granted to them. Right? It is here that we see the kingdom of God being revealed, and it's not a, an immediate physical earthly kingdom. That's what the Jews were waiting on. They thought this Messiah who's going to come, they had been under oppression from a foreign government. He was going to raise up an army and come in and crush this foreign government, establish his physical kingdom right now. And we begin to see this mystery being revealed here that that's not what Jesus is doing right this second. Jesus Christ is coming. He is establishing his kingdom, but his kingdom initially would be a spiritual kingdom. And he is calling those who love. He's calling a people unto himself, and it has nothing to do with their ethnic line. He's initially calling the Jews, but Jesus Christ has come, and, and the, the mystery of the whole is the 2,000-year gap the Jews were, plus year gap that we're in now, the Jews weren't anticipating, where Christ is establishing his church. The coming kingdom that Jesus is bringing here is his church, and he's planning, the, the laying the, the, the foundation of it right here as he calls a people unto himself, and it's this way that he was going to bless all nations. Not just the Jews, but a people from every single tribe and tongue were going to be blessed. And he was going to, as he redeems them, a people from each and every nation, not solely the Jews. And I tell you all this because it, it should jar us a bit, and it's meant to jar us that in this passage, Christ is saying there are those to whom it will be revealed, who will be a part of the kingdom, and there are those to whom it will not. This doesn't really mesh that well with contemporary teaching about God. Right? We hear things all the time that we are children of God. Everybody is a child of God, right? And it's true that we are all made in the image of God, but ever since the fall and Adam, all have gone astray, all have sinned, none is righteous. And Jesus Christ, when addressing people with this very mentality, addressed the same uh, uh, a group of uh, religious leaders, from the uh, uh, Jewish religious leaders in John 8, uh, when they thought they were righteous just because of who they were, and the fact they descended from Abraham, and he said, you are of your father, the devil. Jesus Christ looks at certain people and says, you're not all child of God. Some of you are sons of Satan, literally. The world tells us today that all are seeking after God, right? Everybody's looking, everybody's searching for God, and they're all going to find him in their, their own way. And Romans 3, 10 to 18 tells us none, none seeks after God, but only those to whom it has been granted now, as this jars you, the question we should all look, all visitors here, uh, members of this church, everyone should look to themselves, and that the natural question we ask ourselves is, has it been granted to me? 
That should be the following question. Has it been granted? And the, the reaction I want you to have is not one of fatalism, where you just say, well, God put some check marks on certain people's heads, and certain people get to come in, certain people get to go out, and there's nothing we can do about it. We're going to have to wait until the end to find out. That's not what the Bible's teaching, because if you notice, when he tells them, blessed are you, the ones to whom it has been granted, he says, verse 16, he says, blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Jesus distinguishes between the two. He says, cursed to them, because to them it has not been granted. Blessed are you, because it has been granted to you. And the way they know it has been granted to them is because they see and they hear. They understand who Jesus is and they understand what he is doing. They understand the message he is preaching and that's going to be important as we go through the last section and Jesus explains the parable because what matters, when he says understand, what matters is that we don't just read this little last paragraph where Jesus explains the, the parable to them. I can't just take this paragraph. This wasn't the magical piece that everybody left too soon and I could just run and hand this paragraph and if they only read it, they would understand. No, it was when he explained this to those who were truly called to be part of his kingdom, they understood and they responded the way that they were called to respond. So ask yourself, as we move through this entire last, pa- last passage, um, where do you fall on this? Do you see? Do you understand? And this is where it's really going to tie in to our title today. We're going to spend the bulk of our time, all the rest of our time, in this last section, the explanation of the parable. Because to those, or those to whom the kingdom of God has been granted, they bear fruit. Every person to whom the kingdom of God has been granted, who has been called to be a part of what Jesus Christ is establishing here, he has established now, and what will reign for all of eternity, all of them bear fruit. So follow with me as I go through 18 through 23 as we get into this last section. Jesus starts out, he says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. First thing we see, Jesus says, when anyone hears what? The word of the kingdom. What is the seed that is being sown in the parable? What is Jesus referring to when the seed goes out? The word of the kingdom, which is the word of how you come into the kingdom of God. The seed itself is the good news of Jesus Christ himself. The seed going forth from the sowers represents the truth that Jesus Christ, God incarnate, has come to usher in his kingdom. That's the seed that's being sown. That's the news that's making it to certain people's ears at this time. And what they have is enough. They understand who Jesus is. He's revealed himself to them. But they don't even have the entirety of what that seed entailed that we have now. Looking back, we see where where they left. They were like, this is the Messiah. He's proven he's the Messiah. But he finishes out this seed, the word of the kingdom, which is the gospel. He finishes it out when he finishes his earthly ministry. Jesus Christ, there would come a time where he stopped teaching to all these crowds. He stopped carrying out this part of his ministry. He turned and he took up a wooden Roman cross. And he carried it up the hill of Calvary. And he let Roman officials crucify him on the top of that hill. That is the word of the kingdom that Jesus Christ came to usher in his kingdom, bring sinners into his kingdom by bearing the sins of man on a cross. Not only was there a physical death that took place, physical pain that took place as they hung him on the cross, but the eternal wrath of God is poured out on the person of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. 
The seed of the kingdom is that Christ has come and bore the sins that all of us deserve, that sinners deserve. He has conquered the grave and he has made a way for sinners to be righteous with God. To be made right with him. Made a way to deal with our sins. This is the seed that is being sown in the parable. And the first one he says, is the hard soil. And the first thing we're going to see is we, we examine this first person and how they handle the seed. Is that to those whom it has been granted, they repent and believe. Those to whom the kingdom has been granted, repent and believe. The hard soul represents a, a, those who hear the gospel and it has no effect on them. Their hearts are hardened and as the seed, the gospel truth comes to them, it just hits rocky ground. They reject the message in its entirety. They refuse to let, <clears throat> let it affect their life and they do not bear any fruit after hearing it. If you turn back and look at Matthew chapter 3, or if you just listen, I will read it aloud. Repentance is the first fruit that we will see uh, when a person hears the gospel. John the Baptist right here, chapter 3, verse 7, many Pharisees come out, and the uh, Sadducees are coming out to see Jesus, and it says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid in the root of, to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. We live in a pluralistic society where many are out there saying that there are so many roads that lead to Rome. Everyone can get to God in their own certain way. But yet here we have the parable of the sower saying when the seed is sown on their hearts, if they do not bear fruit in keeping with repentance, they do not repent and believe in the gospel message, then the axe will be laid in their roots and these trees will be cast off into the fire. There are commentators who will look at this very passage some churches out there that will look at this passage and try to tell you how all of these people are actually going to go to heaven. They're just Christians in their own way or Christians in different forms. And that cannot be pulled out of what Jesus Christ is saying here. He's saying when the gospel is sown on the hearts of those to whom have been granted access to the kingdom of heaven, they repent and believe. They keep fruit with bearing with repentance. There may be people here in that very situation today. There are a lot, a lot of visitors that have come in, and I'm so thankful that you are here, but there may be some of you sitting here for the first time today have heard the gospel, or maybe you've been hearing it over and over and over again, and you have never softened your heart. Your heart has been hard, and the gospel has continued to not have an effect on your life. And if the gospel message that I just preached, the gospel that I just walked through, does not resonate with your soul, if it does not cause a change, if you do not embrace it and you walk back out that door, then the Bible is clear. When your time comes and you stand before God, you will cast these bushes off into the fire. That's not a temporary fire. It is an eternal fire where the sins of man are paid for. Where, 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 where you have to go and pay for your own sin. So ask yourself today, have I truly repented and believed in the gospel message of Jesus Christ? Have I embraced the seed in my heart and is it bearing fruit as I keep with repentance? Number two, as we move on, he says, As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word immediately and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. We see the seed on the rocky ground. The thing is, this soil, now what's a little different, this soil has all the appearance of the good soil. 
Right? It doesn't look like the rocky ground. It's not hard. It didn't reject it. It actually looks good on top, and the seeds actually sink into this soil just as it does the good soil. <clears throat> they receive it with all joy, yet tribulation, persecution, all of these come into this person's life who has professed to repent and believe in Jesus Christ, and now they begin to fall away. This is sad to think of how many people this represents, and I, I'm thinking just in my own life. How many people I've seen profess faith in Jesus Christ. They've heard the seed. The seed is coming to their life. They've been overjoyed with it. They said, yes, I need Jesus Christ in my life. And when the reality of what the decision that they've made, what it cost them to follow Jesus Christ begins to set in, the persecution of the world comes in. These people begin to dwindle and wander away. They wander away from the faith. And the number of these people is increasing as our churches begin to drift. There are tons of churches out there who are teaching you that uh, easy believism, all you have to do is say this little prayer and you will be saved forever, right? I encounter parents and, and friends all the time who say that they know, well, my friend, he's a Christian. Uh, we were in church together. I've seen some, what I think were some fruits in his life and then some hard times just came and he wandered away. But I know deep down in his heart, he still loves God. This passage is telling you that no, they don't love God. They are not continually bearing fruit. When the, 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 the persecution came, they began to fade away because they were not rooted in good soil. I want to look at a passage really quick called Jeremiah 17 that sheds just a little bit of light on what this uh, uh, kind of looks like when the sun rising on the believer. Jeremiah 17, if you don't want to flip back out, read it. Jeremiah 17, hundreds of years earlier, when talking about uh, people who were true to God's word, or he's dealing with the, the same Jews, he says, Thus says the Lord, Curses the man who trusts in man, who makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert, and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness, and in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man whose trust is in the Lord, who trusts in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green and it is anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Jeremiah talks about two different trees there. He says one has its trust in the Lord, one has its trust in man, and when the scorching sun comes up on these two trees, the one whose trust is in man begins to dwindle and fade away, and the one whose trust is in the Lord continues to bear fruit. The thrust of what Jesus is saying is focused on the unbeliever here, on the one who does not bear good fruit. But the natural implication is that those to whom the kingdom has been granted continue to bear fruit. In the midst of trials and persecution and tribulation, they do not cease to bear fruit. The sun that came into these people's lives, who had their, their roots planted in shallow soil, this is not what caused them to leave. It just revealed the true nature of their heart and that they never truly trusted in God. They never really trusted in the promises that were given to them. This one should bring a new type of evaluation into our lives. Because after the first one, I know like me, like myself, after I read through this passage, when I read through the first one, I'm like, well, I'm good. Because I didn't have a hard heart. I didn't reject it. I made my profession in Jesus Christ. I've come, I've repented, I've believed. But then this one hits home because so did everybody in this second one. So did everybody who had their roots planted in rocky soil. All of these people made a profession for Jesus Christ. All of these people claimed to believe. They received it with joy. And initially there was a lot of evidence that they were Christians. But they show that they weren't by the fact that they did not continue to bear fruit. 
When we think of fruit, when I think of Christian fruit, we saw that fruit was keeping with repentance earlier. Galatians 5 lists out the fruits of the Spirit. It says love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. This part of the passage is not meant to scare us into thinking that, hey, if I want to be a true Christian, if I want to stay with the church, I have to uphold the law, I have to be a perfect person, I have to have a sinless life. No, what it means is that you will bear fruit continually in all of the trials and persecutions of your life by the trust you have in the promises of God. You know, many will say, well, I, I, I can't do what God calls me to do because that will take away my job. The Christian knows that God is good even in the midst of you losing your job. Some people know that if they, if they truly stick with Christ, this trial or persecution has come, my family will disown me. Some of you, maybe even your spouse will leave you. I've met people who have, have lost their children over the fact that they continue to persevere on the promises of God. But this passage, you know, the, the, those who know the promises of God and how good they are, know that they do not have to fear that. And they will continue to bear Christian fruit. They will bear fruits of the Spirit through all of those trials in their life. They will have peace knowing that, man, God takes my job. He says he'll provide for me by me seeking first the kingdom of heaven. If God takes my family away, this, this family is only temporary too. He still loves me and he's working all things for my good. They know that all things work for the good of those who love God. We know that we have been saved. The true Christian knows that the gospel means I have been saved and that I will be everything in my life from now until the time I see God is conforming me into the image of Jesus Christ. It's being served to, 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 to sanctify me. Uh, and it's being used not only to sanctify me, but to glorify God. That way I know when these trials come into my life, I do not need to abandon the promises that God has given me. Because I know that God is not picking on me. God has not forgotten me. His promises are not no longer good, but God has chosen me. He's chosen to use me in order to glorify Himself. And He's chosen to do this in my life to conform me into the image of His Son and bring me into eternal life. To those whom it has been granted, they continue to bear fruit during the trials and persecutions of their life. They do not wither away. Thirdly, we'll look at the, the third of these seeds. Verse 22 says, And for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. It proves unfruitful. The last of the three of the non-bearing fruits, uh, um, the one sown among thorny soul, Jesus says, this is the one who hears the word, but cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches choke out this one's fruit. And this, I fear, is the most dangerous one of all in our context today, in the church that we live in, or the church that we, uh, um, context that we're in in America. Because we were such an abundantly wealthy nation, we're abundantly wealthy people when we compare ourselves to uh, these people um, uh, who Jesus is talking to. The, the soil, just to cover again, the soil, when he said he sowed it out there, it looked good. There were, uh, the, the thorns were all encompassed in it. And as they began to grow up, this, this desire for the riches of the world began to choke them out. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 25. He says, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God because so many people have a hard time fully coming to Jesus Christ because they find joy or they find satisfaction in something of this world. 
People come, they like Jesus Christ, they want to add him to their collection of gods, or they want a, a little bit of religion in their life, they want to be a part of a church, but what really has captivated their heart is something material in this world. <coughs> However, everything that is in this world is temporary, and it will not sustain, it will not bring eternal satisfaction. How many people do we know in our lives that tell us, I want to be more involved in church. I want to have more religion in my life. I even, maybe some of you haven't, like people tell me that all the time, I admire the fact that you are in a church and I'm going to do that as soon as I get something straightened out. As soon as I get caught up in this area of my life, as soon as this is all put together, and what that is revealing is that they are deceived by whatever it is they are investing their time in because they think that is what's more important and that is what's going to bring this eternal joy. That's what's going to bring the fruits. The fruits that they, they long to bear, joy, peace, patience, goodness, they think the fruits are found in orchestrating whatever this is in their life for their own benefit. It doesn't have to be a million dollars. It doesn't have to be anything flashly. It's anything that they're putting their hope in that is in this world. Some of us, it could be a spouse. The fact that, man, you know, my, my religion seems great, but if only I had a spouse, that's where my attention needs to go. If I could just get a spouse, then... Everything would be fine. They're deceived by the, 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 the riches of the world and thinking that this is what they need to bear Christian fruit. This is where this is where their hope is at. Some of them is their job. Some of them, whatever it is that they place their hope in. And as Christians, I want us to evaluate ourselves again. Those who are in the church, I want us to, to really think down to where we have all of our hope at and whether or not we are deceived at times by the riches of the world. It's very tempting, and it's probably the most convicting part of my message as I put this together and I started applying it to my own life. This was the one that really starts to hit home because I have to ask myself, man, is all of my hope and joy and satisfaction, is everything placed in Jesus Christ, is he enough for me? Because that's what happens to these people. They don't think Jesus Christ is enough. They look to something and I say, man, I have joy in my life, but if only I had this, and it's so tempting to just reach out and grab a hold of something and begin to pursue that and think that's what's going to actually bring joy to my life. And here it tells me that the true Christian will let that go. Those to whom it has been granted, the ones who are called to be a part of Jesus Christ's kingdom, will let that go and place all of their hope and joy and expectation in the, the, the promises that God himself has made to them through Jesus Christ his Son. Those to whom the kingdom has been granted are not deceived. They're not truly deceived by the riches of this world. And lastly, to those whom it has been granted, they bear fruit. Verse 23 says, As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This sometimes has been used as part of the passage that has been used to tell people that there are different kind of levels of Christianity. There's some at 100 fold, some at 60, some at 30. So some Christians really don't bear very much fruit. There's no fruit in their life. There's a little bit of fruit in some others' lives, and there's some more in some others' lives. You cannot interpret that from this passage. Because if you know anything about the parable that Jesus was telling and what sowing seeds looked like in eightfold crops, so if some bore crops in eightfold, that was a very good crop. The people hearing this would understand that uh, when, when someone bore an eightfold crop, that was, that, was, that was awesome. Therefore, a thirtyfold crop is an extremely high amount of crops for some seed to be yielding. 
the passage does not mean that there are some who bear a little, some who bear more, some who bear a lot. It means there are some who bear a lot of fruit, there are some who bear a lot more fruit, and there are some who bear even more fruit. What it's saying is that all Christians, those to whom it has been revealed, bear fruit. They bear fruit just as I've been covering through this passage by the, the hope that they have or the, the fact that they have placed all of their faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, the seed was sown, it was in good soil, and they cling to that seed, and it generates fruit in their life continually. It does reveal to us that it's not a competition within our church. It doesn't mean I look around at all the other Christians and I mean, like, oh, I've got to keep up with them, or whoever bears more fruit is the better Christian who has interest in the kingdom of heaven. But what it does mean is that if I am truly a Christian, I am plugged into the church, and I am bearing, continually bearing fruit. This is the only one in this entire parable that goes into the kingdom of heaven. The passage, and I could, I could go through numerous other passages where the Bible talks about every tree that does not have fruit will be cast off into the fire. Never let anyone deceive you and think that any of these other people are part of the kingdom of God, but only those who bear fruit. And in conclusion, as we walk through all of this, I just want to leave us on a note with, with a few take-home truths. Because if you're sitting here today, the number one thing you should be asking yourself is, how do I bear fruit? If it had been granted to me, where's the fruit in my life? I want to go and bear fruit. The first one I just want you to take home is know the gospel. You cannot bear fruit without the truth of the gospel. The gospel was a seed that was initially sown. That was what people repented and believed in. You need the gospel every single day in order to bear the fruit of a Christian. To find peace, to find joy, to find true, uh, uh, lasting happiness, to experience self-control. You need to know that Jesus Christ came and paid for your sins completely. And if you have repented and placed your faith in him, that you are righteous before God. And you need to preach that truth to yourself every single day. The second one I want to point to is, is, is bind yourself as tightly as possible to the local church. Find a Bible-believing church. If you are members of this church, get deeper involved. If you are not members of this church, you repent, place your faith in Christ, and then join a local church. Because the kingdom that God, that Jesus Christ was establishing here, the kingdom that it was long awaited, is inextricably linked to the church that he founded. The church, all of those who repent and believe in Jesus Christ are made a part of the church and it manifests itself in our day in local church bodies. Those who are faithful members of a church, not just members of a building, not who own a building or get themselves plugged into a, 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 uh, a professing church that has a building, but those who are members of a local body who is preaching and teaching the word of God when they are bound to this on earth, God says they will be bound to it in heaven. He says the church will not pass away. He's planning his church and the gates or he's establishing his church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. It makes sense that every single thing out there is going to fade away. Everything, all the buildings, all the trees, everything is going to burn one day except for the church. Therefore, if you are members of the church, true members spiritually, you will never perish. When everything is passed away, you will live forever with God himself. Next, study and memorize the promises of God. The promises I went through you in the gospel, the promises that God has made, because that is going to be the source of your continual fruit bearing. The people, so many of these in the other passages, when they, when, they, when they faded away, was because their promises, or their hope was in promises that God did not make to them. Ground your hope, ground everything you have in the promises that Jesus Christ himself made, that God's word makes, and trust in those promises. Those are the promises that will bear fruit continually, enable you to bear fruit continually throughout your life. 
And lastly, I'll close with this, and I'll say it again. If you were with us today and you are not a believer, if you are a professing believer and you are really questioning whether or not that you are in that last group of people who bear fruit, if you don't know whether or not you say, hey, I might be this guy who's in shallow soil, I might be the guy with the hard heart, I might be the guy amongst the thorns, guy or girl, then there's nothing that stops you right here today from repenting of your sins and placing your hope in Jesus Christ. There's nothing that stops at right this moment. Jesus said to those whom it has been revealed, they have eyes to see and ears to hear. And if God is opening up your eyes, if he's opening up your ears right now, you repent and believe. If you have questions about the gospel after this, come talk to me. I will continually love to share it with you. The people here in this congregation would love to share more with you about it. Uh, Because all that matters when this life is up is whether or not you understood the gospel, whether or not you repented and believed. As believers, let's just pray that we continually go out and sow more seeds. If we truly believe in the gospel, continue to sow the seeds of the gospel. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you so much for this morning that you've given us to look to your word, God, and what a humbling truth we see there, Lord. In a world that wants to tell us that everything is just going to be okay, that everybody gets a free ticket into heaven, or even sometimes that there is no God, it's such a good reminder to look and remember what Jesus Christ said, that He has established His kingdom, and that that is the only thing that is eternal, the only thing that is okay is when we are members of that kingdom, Lord. And Lord, I pray, we we thank you, God, that you have revealed to us the secrets of the kingdom, Lord. We thank you, God, that you have provided a way for us to enter through the blood of Jesus Christ, through his atoning work on the cross. Lord, I pray that every one of us who has professed faith in Jesus Christ, Lord, every one of us who is a member of this church here today will continually look to this passage and use it not not just to scare us into legalism, Lord, or trying to pretend that we're something we're not, God, but that it would really motivate us to trust in the gospel, God, and to continue to bear fruit throughout our lives so that when the time for harvest comes, God, we would be spared, Lord, we would be taken up uh, when the chaff is thrown away, Lord. Lord, I pray and thank you that you have uh, brought so many in here, God, today, so many visitors in here, Lord. I pray that if there is anyone in this congregation, God, who does not know who you are, anyone in this congregation has their hope in anything else apart from the atoning work of Jesus Christ, God, that you would bring conviction into their life, you would open up their heart, you would cultivate the soil, God, so that their heart would become good soil, Lord, and the gospel would sink into their heart and then bear fruit, that they would be born again, God, and made a part of the kingdom you have established, God. Lord, I pray that as we read this passage, Lord, that we would be motivated to go out and continue to sow seeds, God, knowing that your kingdom has come in a spiritual sense right now in the church, God, but what we were waiting for is the full realization of it when you come and and, and restore your kingdom physically, God, where we reign with you forever, Lord, and the thing that you are waiting on, God, is for all those whom to whom it has been revealed to come. Lord, and that should motivate us as, as, as believers, God, to go out and sow seeds so that these people may believe, Lord. Lord, may we look to this passage and continually live out our lives sowing seeds of the gospel both verbally and by the fruit that we uh, bear in our lives throughout our existence here on earth, God. Lord, I pray that the rest of our time here together would bring glory to your name, and we ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen.